Alex Danko is one of my favorite writers, and he's now at Shopify. And I featured him before on the Michael Scott Theory of Social Class in an October 2021 episode. So check that out if you missed it, because I still think about it quite a bit. Uh, but he's back on the Infinite Loops podcast with Jim O'Shaughnessy. Jim is the author of What Works on Wall Street and the father of Patrick O'Shaughnessy, who has one of the best podcasts on investing. Um, but Jim has Infinite Loops and often has Alex Danko as a recurring guest to talk about stuff. And I really like when people have concise explanations of things that everyone thinks that they know, especially if they bring a lot of examples and a sequencing of explanation, which makes everything more clear. And that's Alex on Web3. All of this is fairly obvious to us. And it's not because we're smart people. It's because when your whole life is working with merchants, it's like these are merchants whose job is not terribly dissimilar from musicians. Create meaning, create community, create a reason to come back and talk to each other. And therefore, products get sold because of that underlying meaning. It's like, yeah, no shit. That's what this is for. This is what we already <laughs> were doing. <laughs> this isn't new. This is kind of like it just makes a lot of sense. It's repackaged and it gives the tool to greater extend the reach. But yes, I agree with you. Hey, we should NFT this conversation and sell it. And then you can become, if you buy this NFT, you will become the only person who gets to understand what NFTs are for. You have the exclusive <laughs> rights to it. Everybody else gets to be wrong. Everyone else is wrong. Unless somebody right clicks and saves the audio file of our podcast, in which case they have stolen it from you. Yes. And you're fucked. That's so right. yeah. good luck to you. <laughs> Sorry for your loss. Sorry, you got hacked. <laughs> this leads into Web3. I was very eager to hear you do a bit on Web3. It's like so much stuff is being written, talked about, blah, 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 blah. What are your thoughts? I mean, to some degree, I think it's like being able to draw a precise box around Web3 is like a little silly because it's like there's just the web and it's all these cool tools and certainly at Shopify, like our job, I mean, on the blockchain team and also generally at Shopify is like, our job is not to give merchants the best of Web3 as opposed to Web2. Our job is to give them good things that help them. Exactly. So if you want to draw a box around this bunch of stuff, that's Web3. However, in an attempt to not be sarcastic and actually answer your question correctly, here is, I think, a good way to think about what Web3 is. If you go back to this whole idea of, okay, there are these things called blockchains. What is the point of them? What do they do? Why do we care about them? It's like, okay, what is a blockchain? A blockchain is a new kind of networked computer that is designed around a really interesting set of constraints. And the constraints are very expensive, but they do something really interesting, which is they allow for a bunch of people to create this shared state that everybody can agree on the inputs and everybody can agree on the rules. And it's very, very constrained in how you're able to modify this state, but everybody can agree on what has been done. Different blockchains have different rules. The rules of Bitcoin are different from the rules of Ethereum or different from the rules of Flow blockchain or Polygon or Solana of any of those things. But ultimately, you create this shared bit of state that can grow in ways that are very, very constrained, but are highly observable and agreed upon. What is the point of that? Who the cares? What is this for? What's interesting about this is that this creates this new format for something that you can call code that can make commitments. What does that mean? Well, it means that you can submit some code to this that will run. And once it's running, you can actually trust that it will run in a fairly deterministic way, independent of any of the actors involved. So long as you trust that Ethereum will exist, then you can expect that this smart contract will behave in a certain way. It's code that can make commitments. Well, that's neat. Well, what's the point of that? What's really interesting about code that can make commitments is that it makes possible a new setting for running certain kinds of applications. 
well, what are those certain kinds of applications? It's like, well, like it's a new setting for developers to go create little instances of rules that will follow those code that can make commitments. And that might have some value to people, both because of the inherent work that they do, but also because of the shared state that they do it in. Again, going back to this, there's a shared meaning and that has some interesting value. And if you're also participating in this, then that's really cool. I'm sort of like building and building there. But what ultimately that makes possible, and really it's like it took us the better part of a decade to actually really settle on this as like the atomic unit of what's the point of this is wallets. We had all these false starts with crypto about like how regular people could think about what the atomic unit of it was. Like, is the atomic unit the coins? It's like, well, yes, but then largely what you think of what you're doing is speculating. Is the atomic unit network effects and ICOs as a way of bootstrapping a certain thing? It's like, well, maybe if what you think of what you're trying to do is various kinds of incentive design and whatever. But ultimately now, I think we're sort of at this point that largely actually mimics the beginning of the internet and the web, where it's like there was 10 years of web before the web browser, where it was very hard to actually do anything with it. And then the web browser came along and was like, ah, okay, now I can actually do stuff. Same thing with wallets. Wallets have existed since the beginning of blockchain. It's literally just like an address and then a key that you sign with to show your you. But it wasn't until I want to say like MetaMask is the first sort of modern wallet that let you actually do things. And now these modern wallets like Rainbow that are like amazing where you're like, oh my God, I get it. The point of this is for me to be able to say like, hey, this is a way for me to do informed consent for things where you know it's me consenting because of the blockchain in the back being, you know, it's me and you know, it's informed because of what is basically called, like if you ever interacted with this, it's like, sign this message, sign this message to informed consent to X and it can only be you. So it gets all the way back to like, like, so the point of the blockchains is so that wallets can do informed consenting to things and the wallets can do informed consent that has meaning because of the shared state that's in the blockchain. Pause for a second. Now, what on earth is what that good for if, again, this is only useful in this super slow, clunky Web3 environment that doesn't actually have any real work it's doing yet? It's like, well, now you can go back and you can say, okay, well, now we can think about this web space full of web apps, full of databases and abstractions about what's in those databases and APIs through which you can access them and then applications that build on top of them and then users who use those applications. And it's like all of that web stuff can still exist just now bookended with these two very strong concepts of the wallet and informed consent and removable informed consent. I can take it with me. I can remove my consent from somewhere and add it to somewhere else. This is all idea of like, you know how, how like unfollow is the most important button on Twitter. Remove wallet is the most important button in Web3. It's like, you can just leave and go somewhere else. But again, it's like, you now have this whole set of like web stuff that can now do work, except for when it's bookended by these strong forces at the ends of this shared state on one side, on the blockchain, and wallets and your keys that you sign with and only you can sign with, on the other hand, all of a sudden this radically, it's not like it requires you to rewrite the internet from scratch. It doesn't, and that's important. It sort of rechanges a lot of the relationships between those things and what is strong and what is weak, what is powerful and what is not. And most importantly, it changes where the switching costs are. And that changes everything about how the internet actually I don't know, I've explained to so many people, people like I explain them to this whole idea of tell people like, imagine a merchant storefront and you can just like connect your wallet. And because of what's in your wallet, now all of a sudden the storefront reacts to you. You get special discounts, you get special this, you get special that. And they're like, how is that different from login with Facebook? Isn't it the same thing? Isn't it just now like login with MetaMask? Doesn't MetaMask now be the owner? It's like, yeah, MetaMask is just like UX. 
it's your key pair that is associated with the thing. That's very, very hard for people to understand. All the stuff is in public. It's just associated with you and this thing you have, which is just a string of numbers, numbers of letters. It's just literally like a password, like a seed phrase that you have that is this big key to all of this that you can remove and add and remove and add and do what you like. And it doesn't change what any of the stuff in the middle does. Like that's still all these web components and we can still do stuff, but it changes the degree to which you have switching costs, navigating around it, and therefore what people can get away with, what actually are the power dynamics among these sets of things. And so specifically, this is all very abstract. So let me give you a specific example here. There is this NFT collection called the Board Ape Yacht Club, which is one of the most famous slash infamous NFT collections because it has all these celebrities in it, all these crypto bros. And to a lot of people, they kind of represent the most distasteful. It's high prole behavior. Right. Board Ape is ultra <laughs> prole behavior. <laughs> it's one of the richest NFT sets. And these people, because they're these idiots, a lot of them are constantly getting hacked and getting their NFTs stolen from them for various reasons. And so there's this big thing of like, oh, like go to OpenSea and have them freeze the NFT. And so you might say like, well, this is crypto. You can't freeze an NFT. It's on the blockchain now. And it's like, whoever owns it now really owns it. It's like, okay, well, what OpenSea can do is OpenSea can say, okay, well, we're just going to take that particular smart contract and token ID and say, well, that is not going to appear in any more OpenSea search results. You can ban it from this thing. So you might cry foul and be like, oh my God, wait a minute. This is just centralized. What's the point of all this? If somebody in the middle can just turn it off, what on earth is the point about this? This gets to a really big, important aspect of this, which is that Web3 doesn't mean uncensorable. It doesn't mean nobody can do anything. It just means it is relatively different. The power of what you have versus what you don't have is relatively shifted towards your ability to just move to another NFT marketplace. You can just move your wallet to somewhere else. And maybe if they're not censoring it, then you show up there. The thing you fundamentally own, the meaning, is always there. Now, other people might decide to not recognize it. That's what censorship is. That's real censorship. You can never stop that. If everybody agrees to ignore you, that's actually something that like nothing can stop. But it doesn't mean that you don't have the original thing, which is that key pair associated with your ID. This is maybe significantly going into the abstract cloud. But to me, like to get back to your original question though, of what is Web3? It's like Web3 is basically Web2 plus these two bookends of the blockchain plus the wallet that give you this ability to take your informed consent with you and take your ID association with this meaning around with you such that your freedom to move is significantly increased. Yes. That's Web3. And so yes. Web3 is the set of apps and behavior and stuff that emerges in this new understanding about your ability to move around. That's Web3. Bingo. Bingo. Was that what you wanted? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is yeah. exactly what I wanted, put very, very succinctly, because that well, is... I wasn't succinct. That took 10 minutes, but yeah. <laughs> you can just take well, the last 30 seconds, get rid of all the crap at the beginning. Succinct for you, Alex. 